This is episode seven of the Ask Dad Labs podcast, recorded on April 15th, 2021. It's simple, you ask questions and dads answer. When we need actual answers, we do find the experts. Today from Austin, Texas, we have Clay. He has kids who are from high school up through adulthood. We have Nick from Louisville, Kentucky. He has two kids, ages six and 13. And we have a special guest, Kyle. Kyle's from the same town I am, an island called Grossiel, Michigan in the Detroit River. And he has one child who is just about a year and a half. We'll hear more about him soon. And I'm Ben, I'm in the Detroit River, just south of Detroit, Michigan. My boys are 11 and 12. Let's get to the show. Hey Nick, how's Louisville? How are the kids? Louisville's great. Kids are off. I'm not fighting with them this week for homework and everything, so that's been great. I am 100% huggable now. I've had both my shots, and it's been 10 days after the second shot, so no worries for me on that front. So, Well, good for you. Ready to go. Clay, what's going on, Clay? Hey, Nick. How are you doing, man? Uh, I'm doing really good. You're doing all right. Glad to hear that. Uh, you know, I'm also two weeks post my second uh, shot, so I am now uh, fully in the land of the immune, joining all of my in-laws, my wife, my oldest son, who I saw a video of this week uh, signaling helicopters while wearing a banana yellow suit aboard a Coast Guard cutter. And that was a pretty cool thing to to witness. It was um, awesome. From my oldest, and he's doing just uh, stellar. Um, and... Uh, my daughter's college is returning to sort of a less lockdown status. And, and as of this moment, she is actually going to get to play a field hockey game, her first in a very long time for her college on Saturday morning. So I'm very psyched about that. My youngest son uh, had a little bit of a COVID setback, although here in, in Texas, we've come back to normal in a lot of ways. And he's had a fantastic sports season. We're very much a sport family. Uh, Kyle, I, you're just going to be so bored hearing about my kids and sports. It's like, it's like this ridiculous rant that I can't get off of. Anyway, so my youngest is a lacrosse player. He's a you know good player and and loves the sport. And and they've been so lucky to have a spring season. And they played. They've played 11 games and, and they've had a lot of success. And they've made it to the championship game. The camp championship game is to be played tomorrow. And a kid on the team tested positive for COVID. Ooh. So they so. have to forfeit or are they going to reschedule it? Well, in a in one of the most impressive shows of sportsmanship that I, I can even remember, the opposing team, even though they could have collected a championship on a forfeit, agreed to reschedule two weeks later, May 1st which was such a class act that I did not expect. We sports down here in Texas. I mean, this is a, it's blood, you know, I mean, it's, it's so serious. And for the school and for that athletic director to say, Hey guys, yeah, let's, let's, let's play this game. Let's, let's decide it on the field uh, a couple of weeks from now was, uh, was a pretty huge thing. So that was good news for him. That's awesome. And and I'm looking forward for two weeks. They, they, they are going to forfeit some games, but they'll get to play that championship. So Excellent. we're okay. We're okay. <laughs> hey, uh, so uh, Kyle, how are you doing? Doing okay. Speaking of shots, I'm on my first. I, I don't get my second until the 28th, so I'm still a little bit further away. 
but but grateful to, to be there. And I think we're going to be talking about teaching cultural diversity. I think, uh, I don't know if Ben's mentioned, but my, I, I was born and raised in Guatemala. I spent 18 years of my life there. My parents are still there. My, my sister's there. And they actually came up. We had a, a vaccination event here on the island that Ben and I both live on. Yeah. And they that was a chance for them to be able to get a vaccine, which the rest of the world truthfully doesn't really get a chance to have uh, uh, an article I saw uh, in Guatemala said it'll be four years before they're able to get some of this under control because of that. So they saw an opportunity to come up and, and get a shot and they did. Got Johnson and Johnson one and done. I know there's been some controversy around that since, but they're very grateful for it. Don't have any side effects. And I'm, I'm grateful to have my parents um, both in their mid sixties, uh, a little bit safer. And I will be the last one in, in my adult family to, to, to be, more uh, safe, but but grateful to, to, to be there soon. Oh, that's excellent. I'm in the same place, and I got that one and done. And uh, my wife is in that target area, though, of that, that uh, what, 18 to 48 or, or whatever, uh, 30 to 48, whatever the, the range is for those blood clots. And with AFib and all that, it's got us a little bit worried. But we're a week out from it now, and that means we're in the target range. So if she's got a headache, I'm driving her to the emergency room. Just no, no stops. We're, yeah. we're just going to drive right over the water if the bridge is backed up. So we're just going to go for it. Um, I've but, got a kayak, Ben. I'll, I'll take her over in a kayak if you need. There you go. There you go. We'll uh, we'll steal a jet ski or something too, right? The uh, but we'll figure it out. We'll get it figured out. And uh, you know, it's the chances are one in a million, um, almost literally. I, I don't think we're that lucky. So we'll, uh, we should be fine. But, you know, talking about my wife, you know, it was weird. Cause I, I took her out. We were, her birthday, um, was last week and I took her out shopping for some bird feeders, right? Clay looking at me like that. So we have hummingbirds. We have lots of birds up here. Kyle knows we have lots of birds. And, uh, my wife pulled me aside and she said, that clerk you're talking to, she's got COVID. And I'm like, what, what do you mean? And she says, she's flirting with you. She's got COVID. I'm like, I have no idea. What, what are you talking about? She says, she obviously has no taste. And I said, she was flirting with me? Nice. Well played, Deborah. Well played. Yeah. yeah. I saw that one coming. I saw that one coming. And I still wasn't ready for it. I still wasn't <laughs> and you ready. couldn't. And you couldn't look away. Clay, you're going to need, you're going to have to listen to last week's episode. It was, it was a great one. Everybody laughed. At yeah, least, we had a good time. I think all the, our listeners laughed anyway. So the, uh, yeah, it was great. Both and your, and your daughter's going to kill me, but, but that's, that's beside the point. We're looking for, we're looking for a lacrosse game where we can drink beer that happens near Kansas city. Keep, keep your eyes out. All right. Kyle sent me, we were, we were talking about coming on the, the podcast and, and Kyle said he, he looked at a, he looked at a letter that he wrote to his son is Kyle, your son is, is now uh, about one and a half. That's right. Yep. One and a half. Yeah. And, and back two years ago, you wrote a letter to him. Yes, that's right. Yeah. I wrote a, I wrote a letter before he was born. I called it a letter to my unborn son. It's, it's kind of long. I don't know how, 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 how deep we should go into it, but <laughs> yeah, I, I was grateful to have wrote, written it at the time. We wrote it kind of together, me and my wife, and yeah. it was just kind of a way to think about the future. I told myself I'd write one to him every year and I'm here at one and a half. I haven't written one for his one year old birthday. So I was actually thinking about that earlier this week. I was like, I just got to write something to him, even if it's a little bit late. 
and uh, and Ben wrote me earlier today and said you want to join and I was like well, I was actually thinking about this earlier this week so um, I don't know if you all have done anything like that or even I think I read an article today about a father who actually every year kind of just speaks to his son for like an hour or so like his grown-up son you know and yeah I was just kind of thinking of, of those practices and and I think I think you both or all three of you have had children a little bit longer than I have so I'd love to hear kind of what you all do or if you have any practices like that or just thoughts like that it would be helpful for me for me to hear well, I know for me, I didn't ever think about that. I was, I was horrible. We'll talk about that later. But, you know, I think we've all seen like the Google commercials where, where they set up the email account and they would email that account every so often whenever they were thinking about the kid and, and then turn over the email account to them. Well, you know, my, my older son turns 13. And since now that, that qualifies him now for all the social media accounts and all that, this would be about the time that we'd turn that email account over to him. And of course there's none to be turned over, but, and so, yeah, I, I wish I had, had been so, so uh, I wish I'd had the foresight to, to do something like that. Clay, did you do anything uh, in preparation for your kids to grow up like that? I mean, you know, I, I loved Kyle's letter. I mean, it was just, you know, it's beautiful and it's such an, it's such a great idea because not, not because, necessarily your one-year-old is going to be older. Like your child's going to be 20 before that's valuable to them. But it, when they're 20, it will be. But the way that it's so valuable to, to couples is that, you know, you have this conversation about the values and, and what you believe and what you hope for your kid. And, and you know, and, and it really, I think, is a great focusing conversation for parents. And that's why I thought that letter was was really a beautiful thing to do and, and, and will be valuable to your whole family. Every word that you write to your kid is, is invaluable. And every, ki- every word that your kid writes to you is invaluable. In these digital days, we really don't appreciate how much we will treasure those written correspondences. And I've had a couple of occasions, the school where my kids have gone has, has asked me to write letters to the kids and to kind of sum up what my hopes for them are as they start entering into kind of the graduation process. And that is a fantastic exercise. And, and I, I highly recommend it. Anything that, and so really at the end of the day, anything that is a tool that helps you to write your kids, use that. And, and I think that when my son went into the, into the military, I was no longer allowed to communicate with him when he was in boot camp for, uh, with um, electronic means. And so I had to start writing him. And, and so I started shopping for, for cards. And, and that's a practice that I've kept up with. So my, as a matter of fact, today I was in a, I was in a store. And so I decided that it was time, you know, I wanted to pick up a card for my daughter, I had to I had to pick up a couple of other things for her. You kind of have to know my daughter a little bit, but so I got her some socks here that that are beautiful. They've got some pretty I don't know they've got some flowers on them. I don't know if you can read, but it says on here I never fart, which I think <laughs> she'll appreciate. This is another pair of socks. You know, it's a it's a girl gazing at a sunset, and it says uh, just taking this shit in. You know, you just have to, you have to know your kid and what they, I got her a little change purse that says, you fancy bitch. She's about to go into exam time. And I wanted to send her 
some things just to think of me by. So these are the lovely gifts uh, that I've that I've got her. But also, you got to get the card right. And so I, I found this card that says, "You're the sweetest badass I ever met." And and not only is the sentiment just nice. awesome, like and true of how I feel about my daughter, but then you know this afternoon I'll you know I've got to fill this out handmade. And here's the thing: make that investment and do it every so often and what you'll get back is someday when you're an old man your daughter will write you a letter like this it's a thank you letter and this is this is probably one of my most treasured belongings and it's just a thank you letter handwritten thank you letter from my daughter that she wrote when she was about a senior and i'm not going to read this to you guys (laughs) you bunch of slobs you haven't earned that yet but i hope I hope, Kyle, that someday what will happen is you share that letter with your kid and your kid is going to write a letter back to you about what that meant. And that's the whole thing. That's beautiful. Thank you. That's amazing. Well, I haven't done anything that for or from me or us, but I did a idea from the Internet that was started, I don't know, what, 10 years now. And I got the book, Oh, the Places You'll Go. And I can't say this all too loud because my kid is upstairs and he still doesn't <laughs> know about this. Oh, the Places You'll Go. And starting from his preschool, I have had his teachers sign into it, told they can sign anywhere they want, long as they just put their name and what grade or what place he was um, with signing it. So I'll keep that going until... He graduates high school and then I'll give it to him in high school. So you have time to do that one still, Kyle. So um, cool. Wow. So, what a cool. And then idea. I've got a, I've got a second book started for the girl, but she's in kindergarten. She, her, it's actually still at her preschool right now. I haven't gone back to pick it up, but cause I've always had them with me, but the challenge to that one is keeping track of that shit for 12 years. Well, speaking um, of that, so, so, um, I mean, my wife's doing the same thing, right? And and yeah. so we that moved. That one's been going for eight years. We moved in the middle of a, a year, and and so I was given a book to take to the teachers, and and we had one of the pages signed. Um, we, we had two books. One of them made it out. One of them got packed by the movers, packed right at the end of the school year, and I happened to have one with me, but the other one got packed, and so we couldn't find it. And, you know, it went into a box and we had no idea what box it went into. And it only had one. It was for it was for the little one um, who's, you know, huge. So it only had his kindergarten teacher in it. And so the next year, Deborah bought another book and we we started over again. And she's like, well, maybe I can find the teacher and and get that taken care of. Well, (laughs) the, the thing is, is that that uh, eventually we, f- we found that we found that book. And so now the process of taking the exacto knife and cutting it out and then taking the, the other page out of the other one and then slicing it back in there. And so I don't know if she's done that yet, but that's, that's up her alley. She'll probably get out, you know, get out some, some fancy equipment and, and some make serious it spy V spy stuff there. It really is. It really is. We, we need to put some microfiche in there or something, but we'll, we'll get it figured out. But I'll tell you, I, I don't know it, it, uh, I just, I never could, I, I was always impressed 
you know, Clay, you, you guys talked to the, uh, what was that? The, the fathers, um, was that the, the band of fathers or the, yeah, the dad, two guys. Yeah. And so them coming together and, and making plans like that. And I just, I, I, I missed the boat on it. I, I really regret that, but, but Kyle, that is just awesome. And I, yeah. I, we're all there for you. We'll, yeah. I mean, we'll help you. Yeah. And get on that, get on that first letter before it's the second year and before it's the third year, before it's the fourth year, you got to get on it. <laughs> I started a scrapbook for the boy 13 years ago. I got two pages of it done and nothing more has ever happened with it. I'm not even sure where it is at this point for those two pages. Guys, I'm going to bug out here. I'll lurk and listen, but I'm going right. to bug out here. I've got some other things I take care of. So yeah. you guys have fun. Great to meet you, Kyle. <laughs> Hope to see you again sometime. Great to meet you sure, too. Man. So the other thing I was, I was thinking about with, with Kyle was you, you know, you're, you're heading into the, the, what you're in the tail end of your, your second year here. Yes. And I was thinking about my first, uh, I feel like I failed my first five years of fatherhood. I'll just tell you that straight up. And, and honestly it was dad labs helped me through tremendously back in the day. But I just, I was not ready. Trying to think of all the things that helped me survive that, that those early years of fatherhood. And, and the number one crutch I had was, was dad labs, to be honest. We, we had a social group that built up around that. And, and getting to see uh, Clay and Brad and Troy and Owen just screw around <laughs> and, and do their things really, really helped me out. So, so how are your first, you know, how, how's it gone? Um, has it been everything you expected it to be so far? Uh, you know, well, it's, it's hard to say again, going back to that letter, like when I wrote it, I had no idea what the world was going to bring. Obviously you've gone through a pandemic since then. I think part of why I didn't write after his first year was the world just felt so uncertain. It still does. I think maybe a little more certain now that even six months ago, yeah, it's just been such a crazy, uncertain time. So, of course, you have ideas in your head of what things will be like. I mean, just simple things like I had an idea of him being in daycare or something like that, hoping, hoping to socialize him a little bit more. And we haven't, you know, and, and that's okay. You know, I know life throws punches and stuff, and you all can uh, can tell me some of, uh, some of that. But I will say one of the most amazing things over the last this last year has just been the light he's brought to, to all of us through this time. You know, I, again, as you both know, like I, I – uh, I, I'm from Guatemala. I feel very connected there and I haven't been able to visit for over a year now. So that's really been tough for me. And yeah, just having him to, to wake up to every day, see something new he's learning. It's been a huge kind of kind of uh, hope for me um, through all this um, of a future. But I don't know how I would have done it with older kids. So that's just is like <laughs> incredible to think about that. And um, but yeah, just simple, small things that I, again, I know I'm sure you all went through, but even simple things like sleep has been hard, you know, um, like we finally feel like we got it. And then he, he kind of goes off it and and you're not sleeping again. And, and that makes things hard again. But so, yeah, I'm, I'm learning and, uh, and and just trying to roll with the punches. <laughs> Everyone's having trouble getting sleep you know, at the right times, everybody's off their schedules. They're not, not getting up at the regular time to make their commute. You know, you're waking right up in time to, to get on a conference call at seven thirty or eight o'clock or in, in Clay's case, sometimes 10 o'clock at night. Well, you know, sometimes you got to talk to Singapore, but you know, what's just amazing is in this time, everybody's, everybody's had some sacrifice. Everybody's had some, everybody's had loss. Everybody's got grief. Everybody's given something up. But then, you know, in weird ways, it's given us some stuff. And, you know, 
You tell me, maybe it's not true. And I'm going to make a terrible analogy right now because I'm good at that, which is that we got a puppy last February. And I know, Ben, you're it's coming. Train. But, yeah. but literally three weeks before the pandemic started, we got a puppy. And in some ways, this is both the best and worst time, the best and worst year possible to get a puppy because you had all that time and, you know, and it was this constant set of sort of source of amusement and brightness and kind of, you know, let's just sit around and laugh just at the damn dog because there may not be anything else that we can be positive about. You know, on the other hand, that's one spoiled damn dog. That, that dog is the most spoiled animal. It's ruined. I've, and now I've got to live with it with like for 14 normal years. <laughs> now, I hope that doesn't happen with the baby. And I'm sorry to draw an analogy between my corgi and your precious child. That is, that is, a, that is a parallelism that I fundamentally object to. That is not a fur baby. It's but he's going to do it anyway. Anyway. But, but I am going to do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to go right ahead. And so there's got to be something about this crazy lockdown world. Like what a time to have a baby at home when, you know, you really don't have to make excuses about making the time to be. Anyway, so I'm sure that there have been sacrifices and pains in your life, but also in a weird way, how awesome. Yeah. And so your parents haven't gotten to meet him until just now. Uh, my mom was thankfully able to meet him once. Well, a few times actually, but, but yeah, she was able to get up once my dad. Yeah. Hadn't seen him for, we baptized him in Guatemala when he was, um, let me see, couldn't have been six months, less than that. And then, yeah, he'd missed him for a year. So he just saw him mm. for a few days right now. So yeah, it's been a while. Wow. You know, obviously we do video calls and stuff like that, but it's not the same, you know? Yeah. And Clay, that's not a bad analogy. I ha we have a dog. He's, he's three years old now. I'm grateful I, I was able to have, you know, we had him as a puppy when we, I was able to work from home. I don't know how I would have been able to do it otherwise, but uh, it's not, it's not a bad analogy. It really is important to, or it, it's something like uh, special to be, be around during all that. Not just me, my, my wife's well, so been here. What was it like, you know, what I remember that was so hard about having the little ones at home, this, this first two years was the inc the incredible amount of like physical work that it is and your your sleep schedule is destroyed and you still have you know we were a two career couple and all the work expectations are 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 there so what gives it's like two in the morning if murder doesn't happen like that is a great night you know i mean did you did you guys still experience that during COVID? Was it like, oh, well, now we've got less, you know, we've got more flexibility and we can trade off. Did it make it any easier? Or or, or did you still have some of those nights where like it's three o'clock in the morning, the baby's screaming and some, there's three of us and we're just really hoping there's going to be three of us by 6 a.m. <laughs> well, I so saw it's me, my wife, and we live with our aunt too, who's, who's, who's older She's able to give us, you know, one or two hours every day where she takes care of Ali. And mm -hmm. that is friggin' a lifesaver, I'll tell you. And I'm also, I mean, my wife is basically, I mean, part-time isn't the right way to do it. She's a therapist, so she does three or four sessions a day. 
So, you know, that's three or four hours. And then of course she's got to do the paperwork beyond that, you know, but, but so yeah, we switch off. Um, I'm working from nine to five. She does like from three to seven and, uh, and yeah, my aunt covers them from three to five ish, you know? And so, you know, it's, it's, yeah, I'm not going to say it's easy, but we're grateful to be able to do it and be safe. I mean, just to be very specific about a challenge we had very recently. So, you know, we'd gone through the year, mostly he was sleeping in the bed with us. That's how we went through it, even though I know you're not supposed to do that. And then finally we got him in his crib. We thought we were good and we were getting full night's sleep. And then suddenly he, you know, he starts waking up and he realizes, hey, if I hit my head against the side of the crib, I can get my parents to come in, you know? And so we're trying to kind of like let him, like, you know, they say cry it out, let him do it. That's what the doctor told us. And over time, he's like hitting his head so hard, he's freaking making a bruise in the middle of his head, you know? <laughs> so um, so I start going in like and, and just being with him. That's how I've been for the last, I want to say, couple months now. But even on top of that, top of hitting his head, he's also realized he's learned how to make himself throw up, you know? So, and if he throws up, he's able to make us come in and clean him up and give him all the attention he needs, you know? But yeah, those are the nights. It's like, oh, we got to clean up a thrown up, <laughs> thrown up or oh. hitting his head or... And, and yeah, you wake up and, and you're, you're, yeah, you're not able to do work very well the next day. And I mean, there's all these other things I know you all know need to do. That, when you're that home, may just it's be, like that may be the cheap. reason that you haven't written that second letter. <laughs> I'm gonna, I don't know if I tell him that or put him in the second letter, but, but yeah, I mean, like for it's springtime, we got to be mulching the, the garden beds and weeding and all. And it's like, when do we find time for this stuff? You know, yeah, um, yeah, but, those, uh, I'm telling you, those garden beds are toast. Wow. Well, and, and Ale is, is what, eighth generation on the property that, that Kyle's- He's ninth, Kyle's yeah. So ninth, I'm eighth, I'm eighth ninth generation. generation. He's ninth, yeah. yeah. So um, we've been here for a while. And, his uh, family bought the property, bought the entire island, July 6th, 1776. Yeah. I don't know if bought's the right word, but there was a, an exchange well, yes. back then and, and some kind of agreement between my, my ancestors and the Potawatomi and and we've kind of- found a way to stay connected to this piece of land ever since. And, uh, it's, yeah, it's, uh, and so it's a, a yeah. farm that's been in, in a family for, for generations for. Yeah. But eight. that is, that's part of the beauty of it is, yeah. is, you know, like he loves being outside, even in the cold. I mean, now it's getting warmer, but. Except today. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, even today he went, he went outside. We went out for a walk today, Good. even in this kind of cold weather. And yeah, we haven't been able to travel or see grandparents, but to know that he's able to walk and, be around, as you know, Ben, a beautiful place. I hope, Clay, I hope you've been here or are able to be here soon. It's right along the Detroit River and and uh, it has this beauty to it, you know. And and so for him to, even at one year old, walking around and talking and pointing things out and playing in the mud, it's, it, it, it is beautiful in that way. So, um, you know, those those moments make make all the all the tough things worth it, of course. Well, thanks for bringing that up, Ben. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds, uh, it's, it's going to be great. It's going to be absolutely great. Go back to your Guatemalan roots there. You know, one of the things that's that's hard to do in the in well, especially you know, community like ours in particular, it's uh it's rather homogeneous in in uh, not not necessarily the best way, and it's real easy for us to get sort of trapped in our enclaves. We talk about kids going going overseas for exchange programs and and uh, different ways to to get to kids kids to experience what what life is like in through other through other eyes uh, walking around in other shoes and and you had that unique experience of growing up in in Guatemala well uh, all the kids in Guatemala grew up in Guatemala but but you went from Guatemala and then and then eventually came back up to the states and uh, and to this place where your family has those deep roots 
how do you expect to to give give your son the same the same sort of perspective? Do you think? That's a good question. I mean, I to, to be very honest, I, I've kind of given up already. Even at one and a half years, it's like I, you know, he's got a different life than I did when I was growing up. I was growing up in Guatemala, and even just had access to even the language of Spanish in a way that he doesn't. I'm the only one that speaks Spanish in my household. My uncle speaks it. He lives across from us, but he doesn't get much access to that. So. I'm already kind of resigned, if I can say that, to the fact that, you know, he's not going to learn Spanish as well as I did growing up, you know, and that's okay. You know, I, uh, one thing I did learn, Spanish was always a very, I, I don't know what experience you'll have with this sort of thing, but it was actually it caused a lot of anxiety in me. The only way I was able to prove I had spent time in Guatemala growing up was through my Spanish. So it caused me a lot of anxiety when I wasn't able to speak it as well as I felt I should. I'd even like fake being sick during Spanish class growing up or something like that to kind of avoid it. And I realized over time that one of the ways you learn Spanish or expose yourself to other cultures, even if I can expand it that way, is just getting over the embarrassment of it and being willing to put yourself out there. And so if that's something I can teach him, I will be grateful for that. And of course, as things open up, I want to expose him to more. There are Guatemalan communities near me um, that I, I want him to have access to. And and I know it's going to be a struggle. It was a struggle for me with my parents. My dad was always like, why aren't you speaking Spanish more? My dad speaks Spanish very well, even though he's from Michigan. He grew up most of his time in Latin America, speaks it better than I do. And, and for me, it's just not letting him feel embarrassed. It's, it's putting himself out there and, and acknowledging that, that it's not going to be perfect. I had this idea growing up that worldly or whatever, traveling a lot is something that's really good. And it is good. Traveling helps you learn things and being rooted in a community and and feeling the depth of being connected to a community is probably one of the most important things I can teach him. So I don't know if he'll have that. I, I have family that's grown up here and I know of kids that grew up here where, where you and I live, Ben, and they get so sick of it, they want to leave, you know? Um, so I don't know if he'll feel that connection to here. Um, but if he doesn't, I, I'll try to expose him to it and and just see see what happens, you know, support him, whatever choices he make. You know, we I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to think about what kind of pressure you put on your kids. I'm sure he'll feel pressure, but the best I can do is I hope support him and teach him to be a good person. I mean, he's learning little things like he loves sharks and, and just all those little things that a lot of little kids do identifying different things. And I'm like, those, those are great things. And he's being amazing, but I'm always thinking in my mind, like, how do I keep teaching him to be a good person? And even little things like saying thank you and stuff like that. We're trying to teach him he's doing pretty good at, but but that's that's my my goal. Um, whatever whatever exposure he's he's connected to, you know. Yeah. Now now Austin's sort of a, a blend. You know, when when I was growing up, at least everybody assumed that everybody in Texas was going to speak Spanish and English, and and uh, it was just a fusion culture back. You know, to to central central Ohio. Central Texas, San Antonio, Austin was was like the global melting pot of Mexico in the United States. I, I get the I get the the feeling it's not quite that way. It's it's really not quite that way. And Austin is a place that has pretty good intentions, and it's a place that is has aspirations to be multicultural. It's still Texas, and we still have huge issues. <laughs> I have to say. But to my kids' enormous embarrassment, I am super proud of my shitty Spanish. <laughs> and in my world in Spanish, everything happens in the present tense. And in my world in Spanish, you know, <laughs> everything is in the now. But that doesn't stop me at all from, from practicing my Spanish. And even today, I had this amazing experience where I was, I had to call an Uber. It's a long story. I won't get into that. But I had to call an Uber and I was extremely frustrated because the, I could see on the on the map 
that my Uber was like two blocks away and it was taking this person like 20 minutes to like get to me. And I was like, what is going on? So I sent a text. I sent another text. There was nothing. I said, like, cancel the ride if you can't come get me. And I saw the car move, you know, like you're looking at the screen on the Uber and it like moved like two blocks over and then stopped again. I was like, okay, I'm going to call this driver. I call the driver. It goes to voicemail. And, and I'm just about to completely lose my patience when the car begins to move. And, and, you know, after 20 minutes of staring at this, the car that's two blocks away, it pulls up and the door opens. I'm like, ah, finally I get in the car. And the first thing the driver says is, habla espanol. And I was like, oh, well, as a matter of fact, <laughs> I do. And so what ends up, you know, flowing is that, you know, this conversation is that the, my Uber driver was Cuban. She's recently come to the United States and she was in a situation where an elderly lady had figured out how to use Uber, but she put in the wrong kind of address. And so trying between this Cuban immigrant that had no English and this elderly lady, like I wish, I, I mean, I wish and I, I don't wish that I'd been in that Uber just to hear what the communication was, you know, as they're trying, they're struggling. And this old lady who doesn't know how to use her phone and this you know, Cuban lady that can't speak English and they're trying to work it out. Anyway, so <laughs> all that trauma happens. She picks me up and I'm trying to, you know, express myself. And my Spanish is such that even though it's all in the present tense, my accent is really good. And immediately people assume that I'm just completely fluent. And so I'm getting about 20% of what she's telling me. And it's a lot and it's rich and it's full of emotion. And she's telling me all kinds of things. And I think I got most of it. But the one thing, and I came home and I explained, I told the story to my son, you know, we've traveled to Spanish speaking countries a few times and they've seen it again and again and again. When I speak Spanish, even my shitty Spanish that embarrasses the hell out of them, the respect that shows to the, to the culture and to your cab driver and to the person that works at the hotel and to the person that works in the restaurant, all my, all my relatives make fun of me for like, those ordenes de guacamole. Like that's, the, that's what they say to me. Like when they see the margaritas por la mesa, you know, they, they, they mock me for my, my bad Spanish, but I like, I, I know it's laughable in the moment, but do you see the effect? Like when you look at the people that are serving, like how happy it makes them that you're trying and that it's, it's a, it's a, it's a show of respect and it gets you better service and you're more engaged in the culture. If you try you know, this is a super powerful lesson to, to young people because it's fun. It's funny. And they're, and they're, you know, they get to make fun of me for trying. Everybody else is totally silent, right? And all of them take Spanish and I'm trying to use my, in the cab to, you know, and they also know that I'm understanding about 10%, you know, so it's a very funny kind of, but it goes back to the most important idea when we talk about teaching these kind of cultural things, you got to show it, right? You got to model it. And if trying to speak Spanish to Spanish speakers as a mode of respect and you tell your children, I'm doing this out of respect for them and I'm going to try 
and they're going to be very happy and they're going to correct me. They're going to, they're going to help and my Spanish will get better. So this is why you do it. I know man, my kids are so embarrassed. They won't even fucking speak a word of it. Even though I've spent so much tuition money to teach them, none of them will say a word in Spanish. Anyway, you, I've, I've gone on and on, but you, you, I mean, you would agree like part of, part of it is what you model. And, and, and I think that's one way, one way that you can do it. No, that, that's real. I mean, it's, I don't know. It's, I mean, I'm sure adults feel this too, but it's like this fear of failure or of being embarrassed, you know, that you have probably as a teenager more than anything else. And, and it's just, I, I just can't say it enough. You got to put yourself out there. Like you say, Clay, I've seen so many kids in the States that have learned or, or studied Spanish and they lose it because they're not willing to try. And so it's just so important to put yourself out there and, and try mm. and, and, and yeah, and, and, be, and be willing to be embarrassed, you know, um, even in this time where anyone can pick up a, a phone and, and, and mock you or whatever, put you on social media. It's like, I just got to hope that, that, that uh, you know, that if, if we're all all in there and embarrassing ourselves, that it won't be that big a deal, you know? Mm. Yeah. And it's the same. It's, you know, it's kind of the same way across modeling all cultural, crossing cultural barriers. Right. And if you bringing people into your home, going to other people's homes, taking your kids with you, you may be worried that you're going to mess up. My wife's best friend is African-American. Her family and our family are together a lot. And there are times where I'm like, Oh God, I think I'm doing, I'm not sure I'm doing this right. I may be saying something that's not right or wrong, but you, you have to trust that you got to be present. You've got to take that risk and model it for your kids. And that's the way. And the other, the other thing is, I mean, I don't know why, I don't know why this notion of privilege is like so hard for so many people to swallow, but I also feel like it's something that we kind of have to talk about a little bit is like the background and why we got to do certain things and, and why we feel safe when other people don't feel safe and how powerful that is. And you know, when we talk about what we've accomplished or haven't accomplished or done or haven't done and just acknowledging that there's a whole kind of network and universe of history that's behind that. I mean, it's going to be interesting for you as someone, Kyle, someone who's been in a place for that many generations. It's like, that's beautiful. It's an incredible story. And it's also something that you've got to appreciate. Like guys, you know, this is, and, and I love the way that you even you even started to introduce that in, in how you talked about how your family came into possession of the island. Like, guys, there's some nuance here that we have to understand. I don't but that's how, that's how do you how do you anticipate talking about that with your kid? Even this idea of cultural diversity, I'll say like growing up in Guatemala, I was able to go to an international school. So I was able to be around people from all over the world and all different backgrounds, you know. In my small class of like 26, I had both an Israeli and a Palestinian. I had African-American folks, I had Afro-Latino folks, you know, and growing up in that, you tell yourself, oh, this is the way it should be, you know, and this is this is how we all should be. And and I, I, it wasn't until afterwards, you know, after I graduated and left and came up here that I realized that's not how most people are. They're not exposed to that. Even I was in the Boston area for a long time, 10 years, and, and that's one of the most segregated places in, in the country. Um, and neighborhoods are just very, very segregated, you know. Of course, Ben, you and I live in a very segregated place. Well, Guatemala is very diverse. Like, 
the same is true. Like to be able to access different cultures is a privilege in itself. And so it's, it's hard to even try to, I don't know. I, I've just tried to be conscious of like, well, Ben, you and I are in Grozeal and like, this is a certain place that, that people are and be in the way that they be like having people just even appreciate that. And this is where we are not putting yourself above it and saying, Hey, I know more than people here know because I've been around. Like that's not necessarily true that, you know, it, it's privileged to have access to a whole bunch of different things, you know? And so again, I have no idea how to pass any of this on. I just got to hope that <laughs> my children will, will have, will make up their own minds. You know, I think we all go through something, at least I went through something where you think you know better than everyone else. And that, that uh, if, if everyone just kind of changed everything, everything would be okay. And then you start realizing, Hey, a lot of folks have had the same struggles that I've had and, and we all got to make these same mistakes. And maybe if I learned from others in the past, I'd be in a better person. So, um, you know, I think we all go through that, but a lot of the things I've learned have been over, I've been here for, let's say seven, eight years now in, in the Michigan area. I've learned a lot of things in those seven years and I've made a point to learn them. I think um, I realized the power of, of stories, of family stories, of community stories. Um, and so I've tried to really dig in and, and learn. I still have a lot to learn, you know, but yeah, stuff I've learned about Alexander McComb. I didn't know my, my ancestors were slaveholders until after I moved here. And so I've just tried to learn about those things, be honest about those things and try to try to work against them, you know, or not against them, but just recognize the privileges and the things that, that those gave my family. Um, at the same time that like, hey, it can't just be about privilege. Like it's also about liberation, you know, and I really do believe that as long as these inequalities still exist in our world, none of us really are free, you know. Again, Ben, you've been here for a little bit, but uh, I, I haven't been around long. I haven't been around that long, but I do know some of my cousins grew up here and, and they didn't, I, they had a tough life too. Like they got access to drugs and early okay. pregnancies. And I've got to believe that that's part of, of trying to segregate yourself from everything, you know, um, and being disconnected from things. So I, I've got to believe that if we learn to connect better and, and, and we'll all kind of find a way towards a kind of freedom, you know, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough thing. I'm, I'm still learning. I'm trying to find ways to work against and talk about these things. But yeah, I wrote that thing about my, my ancestor, Alexander McComb. He was a general. Um, it's a long story, but short version is, you know, he he's a war hero, War of 1812, a war not many people know about because it was a war that the U.S. didn't do very well in. Most of the wars you hear about in our history and the people who are proud of the ones we win. In the War of 1812, we were very lucky to come out, come out of with a stalemate, you know, so where Ben and I live would be Canada if the War of 1812 hadn't happened and if my ancestor hadn't won that battle. And while that story is being told, no one's talking about um, the Native Americans, the the original inhabitants of this place, the First Nations that that, have, that suffered through a genocide, you know, and 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 yeah, are still 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 here today and still working and and still folks that we've got to pay attention to and work to connect with and and learn from and acknowledge as the original inhabitants of of this land, and and hopefully in doing so can can try to work towards a better 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 future um but yeah i'm, I'm learning these things too myself and <laughs> i have no idea how to pass this stuff on to a kid the thing is the thing is it's not like it's not like a lesson you make up like your kids the thing that you have to appreciate is your kids are listening right and these are just the conversations that are happening in your life at your kitchen table these are your values as long as you guys are coming together and talking about these kind of things it's not like something you have to teach. Like, I think that one of the things that with three kids that have gone through this and, and who ultimately are really manifesting a lot of 
in, in a way that makes me incredibly proud, you know, social values and, and personal values that I'm just really proud of. I didn't, there wasn't like that session, you know, there wasn't like a, a lesson. It wasn't like, it was just like hours and hours of conversation around the table and listening to what my wife and I were talking about or what our friends were talking about, what we we're talking about, you know, the kind of conversations that you're going to have, Kyle, I can tell the kind of conversations that you're having now, this is, this is, you're, this isn't going to be secret from your kids. You're talking about it. You're talking about it with your friends, with your wife and the dinner table in the house. This is the conversation in the house. And that's, they're listening. They're listening so carefully, even when they pretend like they're not. And even when they're teenagers and they're kind of cool and they're like, oh, and they're, they're pretending like they're, not, they're listening so carefully. <laughs> and, and that's so, a threat too. <laughs> yeah. Let's just know that your life, your life is their curriculum. And, uh, you know, it sounds to me like you're thinking about some pretty interesting deep stuff that's going to, uh, they're, they're, they're hearing that. I like that. It's awesome. Yeah. Ah, well, Clay, you need to make sure that your daughter does not hear me talking about, about field hockey. Oh, that's, man, that's for know. sure. Okay. Well, she will I, come, I, she will come after me. Yeah, and you don't want her after you because she's no. kind of tough. No, Nick was talking about, you know, those girls beating people with sticks, and I think he meant me. Um, hmm. <laughs> so, yep, it's uh, it's it's quite a thing. Well, thank you guys. Even you, Nick, I know you can hear us even if you're going to ignore us, but thanks for, for spending, spending the evening with me and, and talking over all this stuff. And I appreciate you guys. Extra special thanks this week to Kyle Debussy, our special guest. Kyle answered my call when when I found out that Nick was going to have to have his tension taken away during our regular scheduled recording. And Kyle brought with him some great topics that, that we could talk about, and I think everyone was enriched by it. Of course, always thanks to Nick Dawson and Clay Nichols and their families for letting them spend this time with us every week. And big thanks to you, our listeners, for staying with us on this. Ask Dad Labs is produced and edited by me, Ben Fote, and Fote Media Productions, LLC. Like, follow, subscribe, and share across the entire social media landscape, wherever you find Dad Labs. Talk to you next time. <laughs>